Welcome to episode three of It's All Relative, the show where we investigate the why behind the what that is familicide. Today's episode is the third in a series about the Watts family murders. If you do not know anything about this case, please go back and start from episode one. If you do know something about this case, I suggest listening to episode two because there is some information there that might help further understand I'm going to talk about in this episode. As always, please be aware that this is a show about true crime and a lot of horrible things happen in true crime and we do discuss them. So if you have trigger warnings, if you are easily offended, please turn this off now and find something else to listen to. Otherwise, please continue as we discuss the Watts family murders. As always, I'm Kaylee, your host, and here we go. Just to get us started off, here's some John LeJoie. I don't understand, can somebody tell me what's going on? Why is there a drunk Chinese man doing push-ups on my front lawn? And why is he wearing lipstick? So today we're going to talk a little bit further about the personalities involved in this case. A lot has been said about Chris Watts, and a lot of people have come to the conclusion that he is somewhere in the sociopath slash narcissist category. Some people have talked about Shanann being a bit of a narcissist. Some people have brought up the concept of Shanann having Munchausen's or Munchausen's by proxy. We will discuss those things here. I'm going to start with Chris and how everybody said he wasn't acting right when his family went missing. So before I even knew very much about this case, I watched some of the things that are available online. And the first thing I see when I'm watching him, the first thing the first thing that comes to my mind while I'm watching him is, oh my God, does he have autism? Is he autistic? He's doing a lot of things that are very, people are not all the same. I don't wanna in any way, shape or form say that this is what happens with all people who have autism, but it is extremely common in autism for certain things to happen. Repetitions, funny lip movements, funny tics, rocking back and forth is really common, especially if things are irritating them because it's a soothing mechanism. And Chris is doing all these things. He's rocking back and forth. He's doing kind of these weird tick things with his lip where he's almost sucking on his bottom lip. He's kind of blinking his eyes. He's not making eye contact. I mean, people with autism in general don't like to look other people in the eye because it is a very personal thing. And to look somebody in the eye when you're autistic is very difficult. There is also a cultural aspect to that, which we could talk about later, but is not pertinent to this case. But specifically in terms of a mental slash psychological pathology, people with autism cannot look other people in the eye. And these are all the things that Chris is doing. In addition, we find out that Chris has an uncanny ability to remember facts and figures. His sister suspected that he had some form of autism when he was a child. We find out that his his nickname at work is Rain Man, for crying out loud. Over the course of investigating this case, we also find out that Chris is very uncomfortable with other people. He actually hates being in all of the videos that Shanann makes and puts online. He's very uncomfortable and on a lot of them, if you watch them, you can see how uncomfortable he is. He doesn't like being in the spotlight. He's never sought out the spotlight. He doesn't care. 
it not only doesn't care, it makes him very, very uncomfortable. Again, these are extremely common traits of people who have autism. Most of the posts that are put up online, Shanann actually does them for him. So she's pretending to be him and posting. And Chris has never been diagnosed with, with Asperger's, autism, being on the spectrum. He's never been evaluated or diagnosed properly with any disease or syndrome. Again, Jamie thought there might be an autistic aspect to his personality when he was a kid. And to recap, Jamie is Chris's older sister. This was never investigated by his parents. I don't know why. I don't know for sure if they figured it would matter. Remember, this was the 1980s, so it wasn't something that people wanted to talk about, that people wanted to find out. I'm not saying that this was everybody in the 1980s, but it was certainly a lot more, certainly these concepts of depression, autism, bipolar disorder, which at the time was manic depression, all of those things had a very negative light. And this was a stigma that a lot of people with mental pathologies are have to deal with still today, but especially in the 1980s, it was definitely something a lot of people didn't want to talk about. Some people didn't even know it was there to talk about. So I want to explore this concept a little bit further about autism in that it is something that people mention. People mention autism related to Chris, but nobody has really fully explored this. And to that, I really want to stress the danger Lena Derhali has done by giving one page to her analysis of Chris's of Chris and his reasons for his reasons for becoming a family annihilator. And remember, Lena Derhali is a relationship therapist and she has written a book called My Daddy is a Hero about Chris Watts. It is very unfair of me to do this because she's not here to, to answer for any of the comments I'm about to make, but it does need to be done. So I am just going to do it. She seems to have taken the stance that he is definitely on the cluster B spectrum or the other, because they don't always know how to, how to define sociopath within all of the categories they have in the DSM. Um, she thinks he is definitely, he, he is in the sociopath slash narcissist category. And so therefore the only thing she explores is whether he is a sociopath, a psychopath, a failed psychopath, a narcissist. So her citation is from WebMD and um, her quote from it is, a psychopath commits crimes that he receives some benefit from and he would not commit suicide after a crime. Okay. This sentence describes Chris's crime. He killed his family to receive personal benefit for himself and he had no intention of committing suicide afterward. His motive was to continue his life with Nikki without his family to hold him back from her. But she gives no source for those statements that that was his motive. If you listen to what he says a lot of the time, he says, I don't know for sure why I did this. Like, yes, I wanted to spend time with Nikki, but he never actually says, yeah, we had plans for the future. And in fact, both he and Nikki are adamant that they hadn't really talked about the future. And I know I haven't said anything about Nikki yet. We will 
we will talk about that shortly. Linda DeHolly also says, while people with Asperger's are socially awkward and have trouble with emotions and communication, they are not necessarily manipulative in nature or lacking in remorse. Again, great. In the Psychology Today article, Asperger's Disorder versus Psychopathy, it says the main factor that makes some with Asperger's potentially become violent is comorbidity with another psychiatric disorder. There are also people with Asperger's who show a lot of remorse, compassion, and, and empathy, unlike sociopaths. The article says, with Asperger's and psychopathy, the most significant difference is the lack of remorse in psychopaths, along with their propensity to manipulate, blame others, and exploit situations in people. And then she goes on to say, Chris has now blatantly stated that he felt no remorse for his family after he killed him, which is not true. I don't know where she gets that from. Um, she is not quoting that anywhere. He certainly blamed others, starting with Shanann when he falsely accused her of killing the children. We can talk about that later. He has also manipulated and exploited people. Okay. These things are more in line with psychopathic traits than with Asperger's. Again, she has not given any examples how those things are shown to be true. That's actually pretty much the end of her discussion of Asperger's and nothing really about autism. And I really hope you could follow kind of where I was quoting from her book and when I was making my own comments. It was too cumbersome to put quote end quote at the end of everything there. So if, if you are confused, please take a look at her book because I don't want to think that I've been um, adding things in that she didn't say or that I am deliberately misquoting her. So first off, it was so very dangerous what she did there because number one, people with autism slash Asperger's definitely can become violent. Go to Google Scholar and look up autism or Asperger's and violence. It took me five seconds to do the search and immediately I found three articles that not only talk about it, but admit that it, it happens. She even, Lena Doholly even admits in her book that it happens is just rare. But being rare does not mean it didn't happen. And we already know that the Chris Watts case, Chris Watts himself, is rare. He is an anomaly. So you are dealing with a kind of an outlier here. She has completely admitted that and yet completely disassociated herself from her own argument. It is also very dangerous because she's only looking at the fact that he's a psychopath or sociopath and yet he has all of the hallmarks of these other things. I mean to make a very what should have been extremely obvious to her point that she didn't even bring up was Alec Manassian, who committed an atrocious, horrible act in Toronto, not even four months prior to what happened with Chris. And he was actually diagnosed with being on the spectrum. In fact, Alec Manassian even attempted to commit suicide by cop. Alec Manassian, Toronto Van Attack, look it up. I think Lena Derhali's point too here is that Chris didn't try to commit suicide, but the investigators, when they go to visit him in prison, do ask him about the random um, gas can that he puts in the back of his truck and wants to know if he had thought about doing anything with that, about committing suicide. And he says basically that he, he doesn't really know what he was doing with that, that can. He was doing everything kind of on this autopilot. And he does, when they, when they push it further, he does say that, you know, he got there and he, he says, you think he kind of thought about the fact that, you know, this is an oil site. If I pour gas on myself and burn myself to death, 
um, I could cause a huge explosion that would hurt all these other people, so I didn't do it. And that kind of goes into another thing that is kind of key to Chris's personality. Everybody who has talked about him prior to learning that he did kill his family. Let's make that clear. Some of this stuff changed a bit after. Some of those statements that changed after were recanted later because people didn't want to have, didn't want to be known for lying or blowing things out of proportion. It is important to note that people who comment on Chris and his personality say that not only is he a very likable guy, but he is the people pleaser type. Okay, let's talk a bit about sociotropy or people pleasing. That is definitely one of the things that can happen with autistic people because it, they don't necessarily want a lot of things. They don't want the spotlight, but when they're with other people, they, you know, people with autism, a lot of people think they don't have emotions. That's not true. The problem becomes is that their emotions are so, to use a very badly, a very badly used phrase, bipolar. They can be so extreme from one end to the other that a lot of times they don't want the difference. They can't handle the adjustment of the of things becoming, like for instance, if things are going really well, things are going very smoothly, which is why they always often, very often want things to be the same all the time. Things are going very smoothly and then something happens to throw a wrench in the works. This can cause what's called a meltdown because they cannot handle the change between things going smoothly and things suddenly not going smoothly to them. It, it is a ginormous problem to adjust to this. And because of that, a lot of times they become people pleasers because they want to continue to have things be smooth and not cause conflict. Chris sounds very much like someone with this sociotropy, which also fits again into his having some form of autism because he was a people pleaser. There is a bit of an issue with people pleasers because people pleasers, a lot of the time, they do lie because they will lie to tell you what you want to hear just so things will go smoothly. So Chris has grown up in a situation in which he didn't want much, but the people he lived with, his parents, his sister, his few friends that he had, you know, they liked him. He was a genuinely good guy. It made it really easy for them to basically reciprocate and give him whatever it was he wanted. And like, he didn't want that much, but these were people who also were genuinely good people and weren't out to take advantage of him. And having said that, I do now need to, before we go on further with Chris and his motivations, we do need to talk about Shanann a little bit. As we heard in episode two, Shanann grew up as a sickly child. They thought maybe she even, they, they weren't sure what was causing her headaches. She um, went to a lot of doctors, including brain surgeons. She took some really heavy duty pills. By the time she grows up, she goes through a period after her divorce from Leonard, her first husband, where her health is not good at all. She starts feeling very badly and goes to, again, a lot of doctors and finds out that she has, um, they diagnose her finally with lupus. This is a bit difficult to talk about because there are conflicting accounts of the various syn syndromes and 
and diseases that Janine had. Lupus is the one consistent one. She does get headaches. A lot of times they're called migraines. But there is no indication anywhere that we actually have that these are her official diagnoses and this will come into play with what I'm about to discuss. Some people have pointed out that a lot of the people do throw shade at Shanann for having all of these issues, that people that doubt she had these issues, people have even gone to the point saying she may, she was either a hypochondriac or had Munchausen's or Munchausen's by proxy. We will talk about those a little bit. A lot of people who sort of throw shade at the people who throw shade say that, well, you don't know what it's like to have an autoimmune disease. Therefore, you can't possibly understand what she was going through. I am going to point out here that I do have confirmed diagnoses of several autoimmune diseases. I do know what doctor shopping is like. I do know what having, how hard it is sometimes to get a real diagnosis to find out what's going on. So I am extremely familiar with this process. And so if anybody thinks that I don't have the right to say these things because I don't know, they're wrong. Going forward, one of the things that does make me a little nervous is the autopsy report. I don't want to throw shade on him, but at the same time, he, Shanann had had surgery on her neck not too long ago. She had had a fusion of her cervical vertebrae. And when that happens, they do cut your neck open and it does leave a scar. It's not always hugely obvious. I have had this done. They can hide it in the folds on your neck to begin with, but there is one there. And when you are the forensic pathologist, you have to be very meticulous about what you do. And under identifying marks and scars on Shanann's autopsy, it says none visualized. Yet she did have this surgery and she, I mean, I cannot understand any reason why she wouldn't have a scar on her neck. Granted, you know, she had been in the ground for several days. There was decomposition, there was bloating, so some of that may have masked that scar. And he does know when he talks about the spine, that the spine um, has a normal configuration and that the hardware, because they put a plate in your neck when they, when they fuse your vertebrae together, that that hardware is faintly visible at the level of C6 when he was doing the autopsy. So what's important to note here, the pathologist, the forensic pathologist, notes that basically everything is normal. All of, there's no, you know, she doesn't have any swelling on her brain. It's the right size, the right weight. Same thing with spleen and lungs and all the other stuff. Now, granted, Shanann says that since, um, since they moved to Colorado, she hasn't had to take any of her lupus medication. She has basically been in remission. You know it has has receded all of the symptoms have receded and i i unfortunately i have not been able to find out enough information about lupus to to note if you do go into a remission and you're not having symptoms how long it would take for an otherwise normal healthy person to um have their their body go back to looking normal on the inside because lupus does does cause physical damage to your body that should have been able to be seen in the autopsy, that it couldn't be seen maybe as a result of the fact that it's in you know remission, she's having a period of no symptoms, but it needs to be said that there were no signs of lupus in her body during the pathology report, at least as noted by the pathologist, 
Again, take that with a grain of salt because it is possible he missed the scar on her neck. But again, it's a bit up in the air. So just put a pin in that and remember it. But it's not just the lack of physical proof that makes me doubt Shanann's veracity and all of the conditions that supposedly she had. Everything I look at, like I said, lupus is the consistent one, but it comes up that she may have had seizures. It comes up that she has these headaches. She may have had migraines. She may have had allergies. It is mentioned that she had endometriosis. There are so many things that pop up and I'm not saying that these things can happen at the same time. She, she couldn't comorbidly have endometriosis and lupus. It's just that the only thing that is always mentioned is lupus and the rest of these things aren't. In addition to this, there is definitely sort of a hint that Shanann tends to blow things out of proportion. There are comments, of course, her parents don't necessarily talk about this, although they do say she was, you know, very vibrant, very bigger than life. You know, Chris has made comments. I know, you know, again, he's a murderer. Do we trust him? Do we not trust him? But Chris has definitely made comments on, in which he would say that, you know, Shanann has locked him out of the house before. She didn't want something done, and when she wants it, she wants it. And Chris, being a people pleaser, would do it. So there's that. There are some indicators in terms of things with the girls that make me a little bit doubtful, and this is where people come in with comments like Munchausen's by proxy, which if you don't know what that is, Munchausen's is a condition in which you hurt yourself or harm yourself in order to get attention. And Munchausen's by proxy is a condition in which you hurt usually your children, but not always, you hurt other people to get attention. Now those terms are not completely politically correct anymore. However, they are still the most prevalently used. So I am going to continue to use them because it makes it easier for everybody to understand. Never forget, Shanann wanted to portray this sort of everything's great, everything's perfect life. And she even wrote a lot of the posts that were put online for Chris. So it looked like it was coming from him, but it was actually her. Um, John Gatt says, this is after they had the kids. And, and this is Chris talking. And I quote, she put me beneath her. He later explained, if I wanted to talk to somebody at the mall or the pool about Thrive, I just stumble over my words. I'm not a salesman. How about on Facebook, Shannon applauded her husband, says Dallas. So excited for my husband, Chris, for earning his car bonus, she wrote. So proud of you, honey. So she's lying. She's making way more out of it than really is there. And then it also says next, both Bella and Celeste are constantly ill and Shannon was regularly taking them for medical treatment. She described one such scenario to her Facebook followers. Again, she is broadcasting all of this online. Up all night long, back and forth to each bedroom, she wrote, trying to help them breathe better, soothe their cough and comfort them, hate them feeling so bad and miserable. Four days later, Shanann took Celeste to the hospital at 4 a.m. for an eye procedure that, for a blocked tooth duct. Then she had to go to the dentist after busting her mouth. And now... There was no explanation about how this mouth got busted. Then, a quote, and I quote again, soon afterward, Bella was admitted to Children's Hospital with pneumonia. Her mother posted videos of her at the hospital in a surgical mask after having chest x-rays. Bella and Celeste were back and forth to doctors, said Sandy Ruzik. I told Shanann they had asthma and that they needed to fire the doctors. And this is not the only time this happened. Now I realize it's extremely possible that these girls had these conditions to the severity that they were needed to be rushed to the hospital to this extent. 
However, I do want to point out that a lot of times it did seem very, very convenient. It happens a lot where Shanann, these wonderful things are happening or even these horrible things are happening and oh, but I can't, I can't deal with you right now because, you know, the very next day Bella had to be rushed to Children's Hospital or, um, you know, Cece comes, eats a peanut and, and oh my God, she's, she's having an anaphylactic shock. Again, please don't think that I don't understand the seriousness of these conditions or that I am somehow saying this necessarily means the girls didn't have these conditions. But the timing is convenient for Shanann a lot of the times. And because of the concept that Shanann does seem to go way beyond what she needs to, she blows things out of proportion, it does seem that it is entirely possible that she's making more out of this than is really there. You hear that moment at the end where Sandy says Shanann should fire the doctors? To me, that says Grandma likes to be in charge too. And granted, you, you could attribute this to being a helicopter mom. Now, there are several comments about her being a helicopter mom. Specifically, you can see them in the discovery documents. However, to that I say, are you sure? There is a video online of her cooking. Two-year-old Cece is in the bathroom. And Cece is playing in the toilet. Shanann knows she's playing in the toilet. She just leaves her to play in the toilet. Celeste, out of the toilet! Shanann is baking. In fact, it takes her a full minute to stop what she's doing and go check on Cece. And I suspect that this one instance of Cece playing in the toilet is not the only instance of such things. Take, for example, the citation Shanann got for driving through a red light. So this took place in February of 2014. This must have been when Bella was a baby. It is the traffic citation that Shanann received, and these are the case notes. On February 8th, 2014, at approximately 8.20 p.m., I was parked on Puritan Way at Highway 52, monitoring the traffic signal lights when I observed a white color vehicle traveling westbound on Highway 52 failed to stop for the red light. The said vehicle entered the intersection after the signal light turned red. The weather was clear, roads were dry, and traffic was light. The traffic signal appeared to be working correctly. Upon contact with the driver, the driver said, why'd you pull me over? I informed her that she failed to stop for the red light. She stated, I have a baby in the back seat and I wasn't gonna slam on my brakes. The driver was issued a summon. End of report, Todd Norris. She wasn't going to slam on her brakes at a red light because she had a baby in the back of her car. Sounds safe to me. Please don't think that I am somehow blaming the victim. Remember, we are looking at the why this happened as much as what happened. And in order to determine the why, you have to be honest about all of the people involved, including the victim and their characteristics. And this is where this episode is going to have to end for today. Next time, we will definitely talk about the elephant in the room, which is Chris's mistress, Nikki. And yes, I did say Chris's mistress, Nikki. We will put together the two personalities of Shanann and Chris, and I will clarify exactly where I'm going with this train of thought. I will see you out with a bit of M&M, and tune in next time for It's All Relative. Look, if you had one shot, 
opportunity seize everything you ever wanted one moment did you capture it just let it slip yo his palms